And welcome to today's episode of In Fellowship, the podcast where we explore community building through a chapter-by-chapter read of The Lord of the Rings. My name is Anna. And my name is Ellen. And in today's episode, we are discussing Book 4, Chapter 8, The Stairs of Kirith Ungol, Exploring Redemption in Community. Okay, I don't know this, the answer to this question, so I mm-hmm. wanted to ask it. Who is your least favorite character that we've met so far in Lord of the Rings? Mm, my least favorite. Yes. Who's at the bottom of the heap? I have to say Tom Bombadil. Oh, my word. <laughs> I had blocked him from my brain, forgot that he existed until right now when you said it. I, I feel I feel like Smeagol mm-hmm. is is near the bottom. Gollum in particular is near the bottom. Mm-hmm. Just because his motivations are so sneaky. And like I'm not a fan of the Balrog, but I don't know that we've like really <laughs> met the Balrog. Right. We don't know him. We don't know him, and so thusly we probably should not judge him. Mm-hmm. And so I will have to say probably Tom Bombadil. And the, the follow-up part, because today's theme is redemption, is that now mm. you have to name one redeeming characteristic of Tom Bombadil. <laughs> oh, I think because he is so utterly himself, mm-hmm. that that is absolutely a redeeming quality. I mean, granted, he is also, like, older than time itself, as we learn in the first book. Right. But just that, like, level of confidence to be unabashedly you, I think, is a very redeeming quality, especially when you are first meeting someone to know that even though you don't always know what you're going to get from Tom, that it will always be Tom and he kind of serves only himself is a reassuring and redeeming characteristic, I would say. It is. I was going to choose his yellow boots as his redeeming characteristic. Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I like a, a feature of his character. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. A core part of Tom's personality, his boots. Mm-hmm. But yours is good, too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thank you. And uh, and uh, you, you had a least favorite character? Um, You know, probably Gollum, mm-hmm. I think, would be my least favorite character. Mm-hmm. Only because we haven't met Denethor yet, but once we do, <laughs> he will yes. he will take that p- position. <laughs> oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, um, absolutely insufferable. Mm-hmm. But in out of the current crew, it's Gollum, and his mm-hmm. redeeming character is probably Smeagol, mm-hmm. and the fact that he is willing to help the heroes get to this point. Mm-hmm. But eh. I think it's tough because Gollum, if you trace the trajectory from Smeagol to Gollum, mm-hmm. right, there is like unfettered exposure to evil that erodes his personhood. And at this point, though it does not excuse his actions, it's also very challenging to not contribute or attribute, I should say some of that character development most of that character development to just being proximate to pure evil and power and like that feels very challenging to unpack as far as like where does accountability start and stop how accountable is he to the beginning how willing are we to kind of hold him to that standard now 
it feels like my expectations for him are just so low that it, I think pitiable when Frodo kind of interacts with him in that regard does make sense to some degree, but also Sam's response of like, he's just so annoying, can we be done with him, is yeah. very relatable to me as well. Yeah, I, I, I see both sides <laughs> trying just to have an open Just a tired heart. sigh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. Well, now that we've found some redeeming qualities in a few of our least favorite characters, I think it's time for your story on this theme of redemption so that we can dive a little bit deeper into the chapter. Well, I had a little bit of a challenge coming up with a story around redemption, just because redemption to me sounds like such a big word. And then I kind of recalled a story where redemption happened in a small way, almost unintentionally. And so that's what I'm going to bring, and that's what I feel like we should chat about today. The story is this. I had invited a friend over, and um, it was near her birthday. We both liked a show, and we were going to watch said show together. And because it was near her birthday and I knew that I probably wouldn't see her after this scheduled time and before her birthday, I wanted to make it a little bit special. But I had some free time, so I decided that I should throw her like an early aughts themed birthday party of just the two of us. And so we would have like pizza and soda pop and like name brand chips and cookies and like all of the things that I remember from those early birthday parties, maybe in elementary school with some of my friends, you know, like what were the things that the parents were slinging out at these ravenous eight-year-olds? Because I thought that would be fun. And then I was like, well, what more could I do to make this special? And then I decided I was going to build us a blanket fort in which to watch our show together. And I was so pumped about this because I had space in my home to create perhaps the most architecturally sound blanket fort I've ever created. There was lighting inside of it. I mean, it was Christmas lights plugged into a, into a situation, but it still looked pretty cool. I had a bunch of blankets all pulled together. I had, like moved the TV in this space. I was so excited to show her. And I didn't tell her any of this because I wanted to surprise her. And then also got her like a small birthday gift. And so she gets to my house and starts telling me about her week. And she had had just the most miserable week. She was had kind of a health situation show up that she wasn't expecting to deal with and so was navigating that. I think it was that same week or maybe just prior, she had had to put a pet down because of a health concern with the pet. There was this very traumatic moment that she had experienced that I won't share on the pod, but it was just a, a culmination of really awful things one after another. I was kind of listening to her week and I was like, oh, well, you know, I thought today could kind of be, maybe it could be kind of fun. And so I took her downstairs to show her this massive blanket fort that I had put together and she was so moved and so excited to have something like fun to look forward to, to enjoy in such a just crappy week that she got a little emotional and she's not much of a hugger, but she was like, can I give you a hug? This is just so nice. And so that ended up being the sort of redeeming moment of her week, even though I hadn't set out to try and counteract any of the terrible things that she had been navigating and in fact was a little bit oblivious to what she was going through. 
but it it ended up being a happy accident that this was such a a joyous moment in such a such an awful sort of situation what a wonderful story my goodness i want to sit down and eat like a bowl a plastic bowl of doritos and mm-hmm. some seven up now and watch clueless or something like you have really inspired me to recreate and i love this idea that there was redemption without full intention mm-hmm. something about that because so often when i think of redemption i think of like the lord and there's religious overtones and you're redeeming mm-hmm. your soul and this was such a, a nice, really tangible example to bring that big word mm-hmm. into something that I think most people can relate to. Well, and I'd say that, you know, when I first started to think about a story, that's exactly where I was, is like, you know, mm-hmm. these big religious overtones, to your point, the idea of like salvation also feels like it gets tossed mm-hmm. around, right, when you're talking about redemption or that it has to be this superhuman effort that we put out. And then as I started to think a little bit more about the examples through the chapter, which of course we'll get to, it really struck me that there were these moments of redemption in ways that were a little bit planned, you know, with gifts that had been given to, to Frodo and Sam, but that one couldn't possibly know in exactly the ways that they would be redemptive. Mm, and so mm-hmm. I, that's kind of what got me thinking along that track and so I felt really kind of empowered by this idea of like oh redemption can happen in these like really cool and to your point tangible ways and it's not just you know for those of us who have maybe risen again Mm -hmm. so with that do we want to dive into what happens in the chapter yes please enlighten us what happens The chapter begins with Gollum tugging at Frodo's cloak and they continue on their way and see the moon tower, which I was a little bit confused about the magic of this tower because it seemed to almost entrap them where they are terrified of being in the eye of this thing, of seeing it, but are also sort of inexplicably drawn to it, especially Frodo. And during this, he describes how the, the ring weighs so heavily on his neck that Frodo really can't continue. And he essentially sits down and says, no more. Throughout all of this, Gollum is really trying to hurry them along. He says this is not a safe place to, to sit. Frodo won't move. He needs to rest. And then the Wraith King comes. So while they're sitting, and this was a little bit confusing to me, the logistics of it, but I guess they can see the road, but are not in view of the road. The Wraith King comes out of the moon tower with his whole host of warriors, orcs, etc. Really a giant battalion of people coming to attack Minas Tirith. And as they all stream by... Frodo and Sam are sitting, watching, again, terrified, but also can't really move. And they describe this as the greatest host from Morgul has ever seen. So they go by. They're not discovered. Frodo has this moment of despair of, it's never going to get any better and we can't keep going. And then almost immediately after this, he resolves to keep going. (laughs) And he's like, just kidding. We have to keep going and it's the final lap and we will continue. 
So Frodo, Sam, and Gollum climb the stairs behind the tower, up, 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 up. There's a second tower that Sam is surprised to see because they thought this way was not guarded. Turns out it is. And as they rest in the sight of the second tower, we get the famous Samwise the Stout-Hearted speech, people in stories find themselves in stories, etc. I'm sure we will talk about this in Talking with Tolkien. We also get a lovely quote from Sam about how if they are caught napping, him and Frodo, he's worried that Stinker, which is what he calls Gollum, will come out on top. And that's sort of how the chapter ends, is we, the reader, find that Stinker, Gollum, has come out on top over Smeagol. And with a green glint in his eye, Gollum agrees to keep leading Frodo and Sam onward into what peril, we don't know even though Frodo offers to let him go at this time. And that's what happens in this chapter. What a good recap. Thank you. Were you similarly lost at the beginning of like, wait, where are we physically? <laughs> yes, and I I do find that a little bit of a challenge kind of throughout this book, just because the the landscape is so bleak. Mm-hmm. It sometimes makes it very challenging to imagine in my mind's eye But kind of where I ended up was that they were, like, some way out of the way where, like, maybe the road curved in front of them but away from them. Mm. And so Mm -hmm. that they were kind of tucked behind maybe another curve and could look out and see, like, the road but without being directly in the sight line of any person or any wraith, I guess it you could argue if they're people or not. And I guess they also had the, the cloaks and they are small. But it right. was shocking to me that the Wraith King could cross so near the ring and not feel it, even though Frodo didn't put it on. I don't know. I, don't, I didn't write the magic of the ring. <laughs> it also seems a little like the magic maybe is inconsistent, for lack of a better word, because you have this moon tower, mm-hmm. right? That is this as far as we know, non-sentient being. Mm-hmm. And it seems to have this overpowering draw to the ring. Mm-hmm. But this entity, Wraith King, who seeks and covets the ring in a very material way, like somehow can't also sense its present, even though the moon tower is mm-hmm. like, come to me, like yeah. moths to a flame, let me draw you to my tower, is just such a weird... It was a bit of a, like, okay, so it is, can can the environment sense this or no? Right. And so, to clarify, because I got a little bit lost in these names, the tower is currently Minas Morgul. Mm-hmm. It used to be called Minas Ithil, mm-hmm. and that was where the moon tower, Tower of the Moon, came from. So maybe Minas means tower. <laughs> Right, and Ithil was like the Gondorian. I don't know if that's like a real thing. But like, don't add us Tolkien scholars. Oh my God. <laughs> I can just feel the emails and the tweets. Yes. But is, is that when the seat of power changes in Mordor from mm-hmm. being more of like Men of the West and Gondor esque, does it then change from Minas Ithil to Minas Morgul? Yeah. Okay. Guess so. <laughs> There's a way to know this, but yeah. I'm, I'm choosing to not look it up. Right. So we're just going to move on from that. 
it's impossible to know nobody knows um we'll never know so now that we've right. talked about what happened in the chapter <laughs> now that we've solved that we solved <laughs> we solved the mystery of the magic and where frodo mm-hmm. and sam were sitting let's talk about the theme because i have a feeling that you probably saw a couple of good examples in this chapter i did and so there are a couple of types of redemption that i saw and so we're going to kind of get into it but i think Perhaps the most notable and really the first example that I saw was on page 357. So this is as the Wraith Lord, as the Morgul King, comes from his lair, probably. Frodo feels compelled to put on the ring. He is somehow sort of reminded that he has the vial from Lady Galadriel. And so the quote is, quote, Cold and hard it seemed as his grip closed on it. The vial of Galadriel, so long treasured and almost forgotten till that hour. As he touched it, for a while all thought of the ring was banished from his mind. He sighed and bent his head. So the light as provided by Lady Galadriel and seemingly sort of even just the elven magic seems to be a redemptive power in this attempt for Frodo to not put on the ring and not attract the attention of the Morgul King. Yeah, it really counteracts the magic of the ring. And it made me Mm -hmm. wonder if that was how he's been able to keep going so long is that he has this counterbalance, this redemptive necklace acting Mm -hmm. as some sort of talisman against the weight of the ring. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure either, but I do like, as far as imagery goes, I like that they're in a very literal dark place mm-hmm. as far as, like, emotionally, physically, and that he has this, like, vial of light, and it is also the thing that, like, sustains him, that brightens his outlook or keeps him from getting into too much trouble. So I just, I appreciate that that writing style. Mm-hmm. In a adjacent note... You mentioned, like, Wraith King, Morgul, Lord, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. I feel like Tolkien just had so much fun with the language in this book Mm -hmm. that he gave everybody seven names and just likes naming them all. (laughs) I was recently in conversation with a friend who, who reads quite a bit, and we were having a very similar conversation around Russian authors, mm-hmm. and that I'm just, I'm not really familiar with Russian naming conventions, but that there is kind of a patronomic, which is, like, their family name, and then most folks also have, like, a couple, two or three nicknames or first names, and so the first time that I read Anna Karenina, I had to, like, chart out who was who because everybody had seven names and Mm -hmm. I was entirely lost as to what was happening I felt similarly in this between the tower and the wraith king and I was like I felt like I knew who was all here but maybe now I'm not so sure yeah Tolkien and Tolstoy they they're the seven namers for sure Mm -hmm. that's how they're known in writing circles (laughs) classically known as (laughs) probably okay so that was the first example Then, apropos of this conversation, Frodo and Sam are having a conversation on page 363. Frodo says, quote, It's saying a lot too much, said Frodo, and he laughed, a long, clear laugh from his heart. Such a sound had not been heard in those places since Sauron came to Middle-earth. 
And so I liked this idea of Sam himself, again, kind of being this positive influence on the overall adventure, but also that laughing in moments of real fear or trauma or depression or all of those negative emotions and experiences can be such a reprieve, can be such a redemption in that moment that I liked Sam's influence here. I liked this moment. It also made me wonder that if enough people showed up and started laughing, if we could somehow turn the tides on this land. Because it felt like it mentions, you know, the rocks and the landscape. It's listening in. And I wondered if the physical land could be redeemed if enough people showed up and were just happy. So, like, if we did, like, a comedy set. Yes. In Mordor. Yeah. It's like the the red sky would slowly turn blue and the dead plants would slowly come to life. Mm-hmm. Like Monsters, Inc., but the opposite. Right. Yes, I was going to say, or like um, clapping is to Tinkerbell. Yes. <laughs> it's just a thought, you know. We'll head cannon. Just to toss it out there. Mm-hmm. Have you tried just laughing? <laughs> is there enough joy? I love that. And then on page 364, so the next page... Sam and Frodo continue their conversation, but they kind of acknowledge that Gollum is now nowhere to be found. And then Sam has this really kind of nice and interesting question. He says, quote, I wonder if he thinks he's the hero or the villain. Gollum, he called. Would you like to be the hero? Now where's he got to again? And I like this question because it kind of, even though Sam has definitely not been in the Gollum fan club, that there's this opportunity where Gollum could have redeemed himself a bit more by choosing to be a hero or choosing to be a villain was just a nice and and how nice to be asked right like to be given the opportunity by someone to redeem yourself I'm sure Gollum thinks he's the hero Mm -hmm. and I think if we when we get a little bit more into the next chapter we see moments of him thinking that he's very clever and having concocted this whole beautiful plan but yeah i like i like that sam asks Mm -hmm. for sure and it seems to be kind of a maybe a moment or maybe a, a gentle turning of the tide for sam to think in this happy moment in this laughter that he's also maybe a little bit more willing to look at Gollum's redeeming qualities and to to offer that decision up to him as opposed to just assigning him Mm -hmm. his villainous his villainous character right and then the last example that i saw was on page 366 and so Gollum returns to the camp and both frodo and sam are asleep and the quote is quote for a fleeting moment could one of the sleepers have seen him they would have thought that they beheld an old, weary hobbit, shrunken by the years that had carried him far beyond his time, beyond friends and kin and the fields and streams of youth, an old, starved, pitiable thing. And again, we have a very pure moment of Frodo resting on Sam, Sam very clearly, even in sleep, caring for Frodo. And it seems to call from Gollum like his gentlest, smeagolest self as opposed to sort of the warped and very villainous motives of the ring this part was sad it was quite sad yeah i really felt for for Gollum here i have not found him to be very pitiable at all up until this point I mean, he he's not a very sympathetic character even if frodo does try to see some of that 
in him. Mm-hmm. But in this moment, I think Tolkien does a really clear job of drawing the line that this could be Frodo. Mm-hmm. They were very similar once. And the the line of past his years and like past his kin mm-hmm. really made me feel for, for Smeagol in this moment who's just lost and warped by the ring. And it makes me kind of wonder about, again, where redemption can happen. And that in these moments, it isn't, you know, as you and I had both thought, this very active process of this maybe superior preternatural being saving someone else. But it is just like a very gentle and loving moment, a very lighthearted moment in occasion that has called from this very dark space or created space, I should say, for someone to be redeemed or to showcase their redemptive qualities. And I think that was a really important lesson for me in this chapter, that it's not so singularly come down from the mountain and save this other person. It's like, we just need an environment in which these nice moments can happen. And then people often rise up to what's being led by example. Does that make sense? Yeah. And how can you not be wanting to redeem yourself when you see the absolute tenderness that exists between Frodo and Sam. Mm -hmm. It is aspirational on every level, the relationship that these two have. And I think if it was just Frodo or just Sam, this wouldn't happen to Gollum and he wouldn't have this moment. But the two of them together, it's like that yearning Mm -hmm. of, oh, I I want that with somebody. I I miss that, that relationship and that intimacy. And that's what almost redeems Gollum. So close. Mm -hmm. Teetering right on that precipice. And then Sam wakes up and just blows him over in the other direction. Mm -hmm. And then things take a turn for everyone. (laughs) So true. (laughs) But so those are my examples. There weren't a bunch through the chapter, but I did think that the ones that were present were really powerful. Yeah, those were good. And the chapter, not a lot actually happens Mm -hmm. there's a lot of them doing the same thing for a long time like they sit and chat for a long time they climb the stairs for a long time and that that takes up Mm -hmm. a lot of the chapter Mm -hmm. but there were some good quotes (gasps) and with that i propose we move into talking with Tolkien. there we are yes let's do that Okay, my first quote is on page 357. And this was one that I had written down from my last time reading this particular copy. Quote, Then at some great distance, as if it came out of the memories of the Shire, some sunlit early morning when the day called and doors were opening. And it goes on, but that that little snippet some sunlit early morning when the day called and doors were opening. I just feel like I know what exactly Tolkien means in that moment. Mm-hmm. And I can remember and I know that feeling and I thought it was just very well described. Mm-hmm, definitely. And my, my other quote, it's two quotes from Sam, both on page 367. And this is after, this is after Gollum is using the word sneaking a lot. And Sam says, quote, I think we shall get tired of that word soon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that felt like such a parent thing of like someone learns a new word and then they say it all the time. And it's like, I think we're going to get tired of that. 
And then he continues to say the word sneaking. He tattles to Frodo and says, Sam said I was sneaking. And Sam goes, I said I was sorry, but I soon shan't be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and those are both on page 367. And I just wanted to leave some space for Sassy Samwise because he's really, he's letting it all rip this this chapter. Yes, and then Frodo, in one of my worst nightmares, is, like, both coming out of sleep and also having to mediate a conflict. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I was resting, and now I am Mm -hmm. very agitated and awake. Yes, yes, definitely. What quotes did did you bring? Okay, well, in retrospect, it's possible we should have had you go second, because mine are creepy. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's good. Let's end on that. So one thing before we get into my quotes, I think the whole speech that Sam makes yes. is just so lovely. It makes, I think part of it makes its way into the movies. Like, that is a notable mention, but I think because it's so familiar to listeners or to watchers of the movie that, like, let's just shout that out. And it's long. Like, how would you pick it's just very one, long. one segment? So aside from that, I had two The first was on page 353, so, like, it actually starts just a skosh on my page 352, but it's the description of Minas Morgul. Quote, Paler indeed than the moon ailing in some slow eclipse was the light of it now, wavering and blowing like a noisome exhalation of decay, a corpse light, a light that illuminated nothing it's so creepy (laughs) noisome exhalation of decay is 10 out of 10 writing i love that a hundred percent and that is why i chose that quote (laughs) and also i had never heard the phrase corpse light before i don't know what that means but i can picture it i know i know what he's describing exactly and i don't want to google it because i cannot have that in my google history no absolutely not okay then on page 360 there's a nice little, I don't know if you're familiar with the song Stuck in the Middle with You by Stuart Wheel. Stuck in the Middle with You. That one? Yes. So on page 360, I was just minding my own business, reading the, reading the chapter, and then it says, a cliff was on their left and a chasm on their right, and my brain then <laughs> popped in. Stuck in the middle with you. And I was like, oh, okay, it? well, we're going to make that Something a talking to the left me. Joker's on the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Oh, my God. So I had to call that out then. (laughs) Stuck in the middle, climbing these never-ending stairs. Yes. So I was not expecting to laugh there, but then my own brain really found a moment. Mm -hmm. What page was that? Page 360. (laughs) Oh, I also wanted to do a honorable mention to page 359 when Gollum is leading them up the stairs and they climb the really, really long stairs and then there's another mm-hmm. one and Samwise like, there's another one. And yep. um, as somebody who frequently leads hikes, that for me felt very <laughs> relatable of saying, mm-hmm. okay, we've done the first big climb and now there's another just as big climb. Don't worry, almost done. Just less than halfway mm-hmm. there. That whole like mm-hmm. <laughs> trying to keep people motivated when there's a lot of climbing left. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's Gollum's redeeming quality is that he would be a good hike coordinator. 
<laughs> oh, that reminds me. I happened across a really delightful illustration of Saruman and Gandalf as tired like hike leaders slash camp counselors <laughs> and then I found one of Aragorn and Legolas as well that I will I will send to you because they are truly perfect yeah please send those to me we can put them on the Instagram <laughs> okay I'll have to I'll have to find the artist too so that they get credit. yeah definitely we'll tag them I'll, I'll credit where credit's due so amazing okay so we have dove deep into this chapter and I'm ready now to, to come back out with an action item, something we can do to strengthen our community. What action item did you bring for us today? Well, this one is pretty straightforward, if perhaps not always simple in execution. And that's to just, like, love on your people to the best of your ability, right? Because you never know when that moment is going to be the moment that either redeems someone's week or perhaps provide someone else space to aspire to something pure and lovely. And so just love your people. Yes, that is one that is very straightforward, but definitely a practice and not something you can quickly check off your to-do list. Right, exactly right. Well, thank you for that action item and for such a wonderful discussion with this chapter that was kind of a bummer but we still had a good time. <laughs> we did. We had a great time, yeah. um, even though the overall tone of the chapter is bleak and yes. grim. Hashtag sad, slow walk. <laughs> sad, sad, slow walk. The eighth chapter of it. Yeah. Today's podcast was brought to you by the Morgul King Fashion House Winterline 2022, featuring sable riding cloaks and crowns. Our music is by Robert Zahn and Simon Dom. If you have thoughts on today's episode or homework assignment, send us a voicemail or email at infellowshippodcast at gmail.com. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember to take care of your community, stay hydrated, and thank you for joining us today in fellowship. Yeah, when did the Morgul King, like, get his own fashion line? He was well-dressed. <laughs> okay, so I thought, and in reading this, I was like, okay, I know that Sable is a color, but I'm pretty sure it's also an animal, and turns out it absolutely is. It's like a little, like, ferrety creature. And so now I'm picturing <laughs> this, like, massive fur riding yes. cloak. That is so extra. Yeah. Fashion forward. And like, what purpose could this serve if you are mostly raped? Yeah, you're mostly dead, but also don't catch a chill. Right. <laughs>